as we nestle in now with the Word of God before God's Word. Uh, would you turn in your Bibles to the book of James in chapter 2 if you'd like to read with me. Uh, we'll be here soon in James chapter 2. And as always, before we read, would you please pray with me? Lord, we know that you are a God who is merciful and who keeps his covenant promises. And you have promised that we would be your people and that you would be our God. Lord, would you make that promise effective in us? Stir in us now to believe and to obey these things. Guide us now by your spirit, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. We'll, we'll clip here the end of uh, part of the text we read last week, but uh, carry on just a few uh, verses further. This is James in chapter 2. I want to begin here in verse 8. So James chapter 2, beginning in verse 8. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. You are doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you don't commit adultery but do murder, you've become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. This is the word of God. Now, before we move on in James's letter to the next section where, where he unpacks the famous bit about the relationship between faith and works, we need to pause here in just a moment to understand what James is saying to us. I've read a number of verses, but we're going to focus especially on just one verse, verse 10. Let me read it again. He says, for whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. There's a lot in there to unpack. So we're going to try to understand these very important matters about the relationship between sin and the law. What James says here in these verses reminds me a little bit about Jesus' particular encounter with the, with the rich young ruler. Uh, maybe you know this scene in the Gospels, maybe you don't. It's mentioned by several of the Gospels. But as Jesus is going on his way, kind of caring about his business, this man, this rich young guy, comes running up to him and says, Teacher, good teacher, what good do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And there's a bit of a discussion after that, but Jesus, uh, toward the end of it, says, you know, you know the commandments, you know, don't murder, 
Don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, honor your father and mother, love your neighbor. And the man responds to that by saying, I've kept all of these since my youth. What do I still lack? And we're told that Jesus looks at that man and loves him, we're told, and he says to him, I want you to sell everything. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And from that, we're told that the man left. He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. And this incident between the, uh, Jesus and the rich young ruler causes a bit of a stir, a big hubbub. There's this stunned discussion from the disciples about who then can be saved. There's all this that, that we don't have time to unpack. But, but to, we know to sell everything that you have, that's a big deal. That's not a small thing. But we can see the effect of even, even one sin. Even if it's true, even if the man was right in saying that he has kept all the commandments, this one sin was enough to separate him. That, that either God separates us from our sin or sin separates us from God. So these matters about sin or transgression, whatever we, word we used to describe it, these are not just, you know, Christian doctrinal mumbo-jumbo. These aren't just trifles or splitting hairs. We really need to understand sin rightly how we stand before God. And verse 10 is hard but helpful to us. So we need a few clarifications to understand verse 10. And what we'll be doing in the bulk of the rest of our time is talking about three things that this verse does not say. We'll eventually talk about what it does, but focus primarily on three things verse 10 does not say, and I'll tell you them before we even get to them. This uh, verse does not equalize sin, it does not maximize sin, and it does not compartmentalize sin. I'll unpack those in just a moment. It does not equalize, does not maximize, and does not compartmentalize uh, I'll talk about those as we come to them, but just give you a heads up here. Parts of this will be a little bit technical in spots. You can handle it, okay? Uh, you can handle these things. It may be even a little bit heavy, but we're going to do our best to unpack this in a way that we really get it. So, don't check out, okay? Stick with me. This stuff matters. Let me read the verse one more time, and then we'll do uh, each of our points one at a time. Verse 10 Whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. Here's the first thing this does not say. It does not equalize sin. So you may sometimes hear from people the sentence, all sin is equal in the sight of God. The Bible does not say that. The Bible does not say all sin is equal in the sight of God. We at least need to clarify what we mean by that statement. The Bible does say, and if we mean this, this is true, the Bible does say that every sin, ones that we might call big or small, every sin is sufficient by itself to put us under the wrath and curse of God. 
James says here that you are guilty then of the whole law with even one sin. The Bible does not divide between categories of mortal and venial sins. Some places will teach you that, but that's not what the scripture says. Um, it's not as if there's, there's one category of sins that, that separates you from the goodness of God and will send you to hell. But there's, there's another category of sins that just kind of interrupt our fellowship with God, but, but he'll get over it. That's not what the scripture says. Uh, apart from Jesus, all sin is mortal sin. All sin will kill us. Or all sin is big sin with a capital S. That's why Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, just a couple of verses out of this here. This is in uh, Matthew chapter 5. This is Jesus speaking, verse 21. He says, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who's angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. That is here that murder and unrighteous anger both bring the judgment of God. We've already heard about this earlier in our service, a summary of this uh, in, in our affirmation of faith when we uh, spoke from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Question 84 was, what does every sin deserve? The answer is, every sin deserves God's wrath and curse both in this life and in the life to come. Wrath comes from every sin that's true, and yet, this does not mean that all sins are equal. The previous question asks, are all transgressions of the law equally evil? The short answer is no. In the sight of God, some sins in themselves are more evil than others, and, and some are more evil because of the harm that results from them. In other words, some are evil by themselves. They are innately more evil, and some have more evil effect, more harm that comes out of it. We hear the scripture talk about this variance of evil in many ways. The Lord speaks in the, in the book of Ezekiel about greater abominations. Jesus talks about judgment being more bearable for some than others, even though both might be damned. And Jesus, speaking to Pilate at his own trial, says, the one who delivered me to you is guilty of a greater sin. Scripture does not see all sins as equal. But I imagine this is probably also pretty intuitive to you, that not every sin is equal in every sense. It makes sense, <laughs> at least in my mind, probably also in yours, that, that to murder someone is worse than to have unrighteous anger against them. You know, to kill them with your hands is worse than to kill them just in your mind. Both might bring judgment. Both are evil, but not equally so. This is the reason, by the way, both in the scripture's laws and in government laws, that there's variable punishment for various offenses or sins. So if, if you get a, a parking violation, you might have to pay a fine and get a ticket. But if you break into someone's house, 
there's a good chance you're going to go to jail. Those are not equal things. You shouldn't just get a ticket for breaking into someone's home. So we can say a summary of these sort of things that in the sight of God, all sins bring the same guilt, but not all sins bring the same harm. That's the first thing this verse does not say. It does not equalize sin. Let's look at the second. This verse does not maximize sin. It does not maximize sin. In other words, sin in us is not as big as it could be. The cup of my sin is not filled up to the brim. When we read a verse like this, there can be a thought that creeps into our mind of, you know, if I'm already a sinner, if I'm already guilty of the whole law and the sight of God, you know, what point is there in even trying to obey? What point is there in following the Lord? I mean, it seems useless. What does it matter if I'm already guilty of the whole, thought, the whole law? Put that thought out of your head. That comes more from Satan than from the scriptures. Right after this verse, James gives a little uh, example in, in verse 11 where he says, you know, if you uh, haven't committed adultery, but you do murder, you're still a transgressor of the law. There's no adultery, but you've murdered, you're a transgressor. But by this, we know he's not saying, all right, you're already a transgressor uh, because you've murdered, and so you might as well just go for adultery too. You know, you pack it up, you're already big, just pack it on in. While you're committing adultery, you know, go ahead and steal her a box of chocolates and some flowers if, if you're going to do, you know, might as well just pile one on top of another. That's not what he's saying. It sounds silly if we put it in those terms, and it is to say it out loud in that way, but sometimes we are still fooled into believing that. I'm already a sinner. I might as well give in to sin. If you follow that idea, it will cause you and others around you real harm. Sometimes this idea, this mistaken idea, comes from a misunderstanding of the doctrine of what we call total depravity. You know this term, total depravity? Sometimes we call it original sin. And this doctrine of total depravity says that ever since, ever since the fall, so when Adam and Eve first disobeyed God and bit the fruit, since then every person, except for Jesus, has been a sinner from the start. That is, each one of us, each one of you and me, we are not born as these sort of blank slates that we fill up with good or bad things. David puts it in Psalm 51 that, that I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. I'm conceived even in sin. So, so, so if we're like trees, for example, it's not as if, you know, as I'm growing, one of the branches goes bad. You know, it got rotted over here, and so I can just, you know, lop off that branch, and the rest of the tree is going to be fine. 
A better way to think about it that fits with the Bible is that the tree is rotted at the root. And therefore, everything comes up through it. Total depravity means depravity affects every part of the tree. But it does not say that the tree as, is as rotted as it could possibly be. That is, it is not maximized in its sin. Even though apart from Jesus, we are guilty of the whole law, there are always ways in which we could add sin to sin and make our condition worse than it already is. There's lots of ways to add sin to sin. One is by a diversity of sins. That is, if I'm a liar, I might also then slander and grumble and profane and gossip and blaspheme by various types of sins. I might add sin to sin with my frequency of sins. That is how often I repeat the same things. So if there's a single lie, that is evil. And yet if it's left unchecked, it often spins other lies, multiplies lies that spiral into a tangled web of many lies. We could also add sin to sin by our motivation. That is, there is a difference between a lie told to try not to hurt someone and a lie told to try to hurt them. The lie itself may still be a sin, but the motivation underneath it may add sin to sin. Our sin is never as big as it could be, so do not make the mistake of thinking that you cannot fill up your cup of sin more than it already is. Whew. That's the second. Here's the third and final misunderstanding of this verse. This verse, verse 10, does not compartmentalize sin. It does not compartmentalize sin. So when I was a little kid, elementary school, I brought my lunch to school every day. Did not realize how much work that was for my mom until I'm now an adult having to do this for other kids. But, uh, but, uh, but I had one of those little Tupperware uh, things with all the little um, dividers in it. You know, little crackers in one and little pieces of meat and cheese. And if I'm really lucky, maybe part of a cookie and another one, uh, but the Tupperware is designed with all these things. Nowadays, those are prepackaged, and they call them Lunchables, uh, but, uh, but I didn't get those. Uh, we had the, the, the Tupperwares of them. But sometimes we view our sin like Lunchables, where they're all nicely partitioned. And it's true, of course, that there are various types of sins. I think that's, that's pretty self-evident, obvious. There, there are sins related to, you know, coveting and, and sex and sloth and all sorts of things. Uh, but these are not divided into these little clean, separate boxes. The law of God is not a lunchable. It is singular. 
not segmented. James says here in verse 11 at the end of it that you've become a transgressor of the law, not of the laws, plural, not a transgressor of a law or of some laws. You're a transgressor of a law, of God's singular whole law, because the law is one. That's the reason, by the way, why God does not add to his law or subtract from his law or modify his law as we go along. His law is a singular, united thing because God himself is singular and one. The law is an expression of his singular, united goodness and love lived out. And just like the whole of God's goodness cannot be segmented, so also the law cannot be segmented. So if you open your Lunchable and the meat is moldy, you can't just scoop that part out and eat the rest. If the meat is moldy, the whole lunch is spoiled. And if you eat it, it'll make you sick. We know that the scripture does not slice up the law. The law itself is a unified whole. But we often like it compartmentalized. We often prefer to think of the law as compartmentalized things. We piece apart the various sins because that makes us feel better about our own sins and struggles. You ever thought this? I might struggle with this particular sin or set of sins, but at least I'm not one of those people. I might struggle with this sin, but at least I'm not one of those dirty druggies. I might struggle with this, but at least I'm not one of those promiscuous gays or or, or one of the greedy CEOs. Or how about this one? At least I'm not a nasty Democrat or a selfish Republican. That comes from a desire to compartmentalize sin and feel better about our own. It's often the same reason why we secretly love to see a good scandal. We like to watch the scandal play out because if we compartmentalize sin, then we can separate ourselves from the scandal and think, I would never do that. I am better. Beware of the sin of hypocrisy. You have to remember, know and believe even, that your lunch is spoiled too. You are not better. So if James here, in talking about these things, is is not equalizing sin, 
in the sense that they're all the same, nor is he maximizing it, nor is he just compartmentalizing it. What he's doing here is universalizing it. That sin is universal. That is that we are all a bunch of scoff laws before God. James is not the only one to say this. This isn't just one verse in the Bible. You know, Paul, the very famous, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Or Paul says it to the Galatians uh, this way in Galatians chapter 3. Let me find it. He says in verse 10, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all the things written in the book of the law and do them. Cursed. That is, that we are all rowing in the same boat with the rest of the tax collectors and sinners. We are all under the same curse, and as chilling as it is, there is literal hell to pay. So I suppose that brings us then to the big question of why does James tell us this? Just trying to bash us over the head with these sorts of things. You know, what's he getting after here? I know these sorts of things are tough to hear. I don't like to say them. <laughs> I'm obligated to say true things, but they're not fun for me. You know, I, I, I know that there would be some, uh, some people that all of this talk might, might really bother us, especially that Christians seem to talk so much about sin and guilt and wrath. I mean, it seems to be a pretty grim view, doesn't it? You know? And if you talk a lot about it, it just feels like this big downer, a big heavy cloud in the air. And some people might say, you know, come on, preacher, <laughs> give us a break. You know, it's been a long, hard winter. Uh, can't, can't you give us something a, a little more optimistic? My hope is not to give you optimism. My hope is to give you Jesus. Optimism's not going to carry you very far, especially if it's not true. But Jesus is better. And to know Jesus, in order to know Jesus well, especially what he's done, we need to know sin. So if all of this talk about sin feels discouraging, you should know that this does not seem to be James's intention to discourage us, to crush us, at least not for the Christian. A wise old writer said about this text that James is looking here to expose the hypocrites, not to discourage the saints. And I think that's right. James talks about sin here mostly as a means to an end, to talk about something else, something bigger. His discussion of transgression and guilt takes us somewhere. Verse 10 is not the end of it. So in verse 12 and 13, he ends at the very end of 13 with this little sentence, mercy triumphs over judgment. 
His goal is to get us to see the triumph of mercy. And in order to get us there, first we need to see sin so that we will see guilt, so that we will see judgment, so that we can see mercy. And the bigger the sin and the guilt and the judgment, the bigger mercy must be to cover it all. The more powerful mercy must be in order to be able to triumph over all of it. Listen to me now, if you've heard nothing else. If we are really transgressors, if it's really true that we are guilty of the whole law, the good news is not that we are less sinful than we think. It's that Jesus is more merciful than we think. That's the good news. That Jesus became a curse for us, not just took it away, but embodied the curse on the cross took our hell, took the wrath of God of the Father's judgment to, re, to redeem us from sin and guilt and, and the whole weight of the law so that, so that everyone who has faith in Jesus can live, be alive in peace with God. There is a triumph of mercy through Christ. The very last thing to mention, then we're done the triumph of mercy does not stop at us. The triumph of mercy does not stop at us. James, when he says mercy triumphs over judgment, part of that is that we're receiving mercy through Christ, but it's more than that. It's more than just that we receive mercy through Christ. It's that we now receive and show mercy through Christ that Christ is overflowing in us, that we actually become merciful too. That's why he says in verse 12, so speak and so act as those who are, to, who are to be judged under the law of liberty. That is, show to others, no matter how big a sinner they might be, the same sort of mercy that Christ has shown you. We want to see in ourselves the sort of thing that Jesus talks about in Luke chapter 6. I'll read this and then be finished. These are the words of Jesus now. He says this, Love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great. You'll be sons of the Most High for He is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. Would you pray with me? Lord, as hard as it is for at least me and maybe for many of us to, to stomach the depth of our sin, would you give us an even deeper sense of our own transgression, of our rebellion against you? Not to crush us, but that we would see the triumph of your mercy in us. 
Would you press that truth upon us so that we would be merciful as our Father is merciful. Help us to taste and to see the glories of your great mercy that we would be transformed by it. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.